Avengers came out in 2012, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And my son was, I don't remember what month it came out. I remember it being summertime, though. Or it was uh, It was early June, I think, or early late June. May. He was a couple of weeks before turning eight. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, give it a shot. And then Hawkeye just started acing guys in the first 10 seconds of that mm-hmm. movie. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gets in the back. This guy's getting narrowed to the chest. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was like you know I, all right and then loki takes a guy's eye out and stuck out mm-hmm. oh, right yeah <laughs> yeah that's a lot like- welcome to the marvel cinematic university podcast i'm one of your co-hosts anthony canton third uh, Jerome Chang, Black Dragon Roll, is maybe in the building, maybe not in the building. He's always like running around somewhere yeah, behind here. He does uh, video work. Uh, but we miss you, Jerome, if you can't make it tonight. Mm-hmm. We also have our super producer, uh, Jake Christie, in the house. Jake, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to be on tonight and uh, I'm excited to talk Marvel movies. Yes, absolutely. Specifically, we have a very special guest. And full disclosure, how this happened, how this moment has happened is because in our group chat, uh, Jake asked me, he was like, so can you ask Howard Bryan if he wants to come on the podcast? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's, let's, let's find out. Because seeing Howard's tweets um, about Marvel was really interesting and, re- and really cool, but you know, us regular folk are, are like, there's no way he would want to come on, at least both of our minds thinking of, but usually I'm the shameless one who will ask anybody to come on. That's how we got Michael Smith I would say before. confident and not bit plagued by a crippling fear of rejection, but fine, shameless is a way to put it. <laughs> but nonetheless, but nonetheless, I asked Howard and, and he was polite enough to uh, respond and built a little rapport over the last couple of days. And here he is, journalist extraordinaire, Howard Bryant of uh, ESPN, another fame, author, everything, a full dissident in stores right now. Howard, what a pleasure. Welcome to the program. My pleasure to be here. This is the this is the fun stuff. I said on Twitter earlier today that this was going to be the high point of my day. And even though you were competing with a two-hour parental driver's ed Zoom, <laughs> I, would hope, I would hope you can beat that out. Even on your even on your worst day, I would hope yeah. you can get out yeah. a two hours a parent class. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot to live up to. <laughs> we'll do our very nope. best for sure. Nope. <laughs> yeah, so I, I wanted to start with this here, and then and Jake, you could jump in. Um, mm-hmm. So particularly your your fandom, I've we've noticed uh, your tweets about Marvel, but we don't really know exactly where the fandom, how far it goes. Does it go deep into back comic books? Yeah, how far does it go back? Where does it go? Let's let we should always start at the beginning, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm old. All right, so I'm 51. So I go back. Um, I was thinking about this um, first comic books I purchased. I think. 30 cents. Wow. I think they were th- maybe 25 cents, but I think 30 cents. And definitely when I kicked into high gear, they were 35 cents. So I got a few 25 cents. I got a few 20 cents. I've got big time. It was 35. This is how I measure it. 35 cents, 40 cents, 50 cents, and then 60 cents, and then 75. Right? 
So um, it started out, I was actually, I was actually thinking about this this morning, that comics hit me Saturday morning cartoons watching the Super Friends, which was DC back in the day. But I never collected DC. I think mm. Spider-Man Spider -Man was the first. And Spider-Man was the one that really, really, you know, took over. I don't think I'm really that unique in that regard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> early, mid-70s, mid the 67 collection used to be on Channel 25 after school. That did it. And, um, and we went Spider-Man for a long time, and then Thor took over for a bit. We went Spider-Man, Thor. It was a little bit Fantastic Four. Um, and then pretty much by the early 80s, sixth, seventh grade, big X-Men, X-Men second generation, X-Men 90, um, X-Men 90, 94, was it? Yeah. And so that, not 1984, but you know, issue 94, right. that's when they, from the old to the Nightcrawlers mm -hmm. and the huge Nightcrawler guy. Okay. And, then, and then I made the biggest, uh, best and worst deal that I could have possibly made. And that was when one of my friends, we traded, I gave, he traded me his Frank Miller Daredevil, 19, uh, sorry, 159 to 191, I think it was. I think it was around 185. Miller's run stopped at 191. And I traded him my Hellfire Club, Dark Phoenix X-Men. And now, if you're a collector, that's a bad deal. <laughs> that's a bad deal. Those are, and those are worth a lot of money right now. Yeah, Dark right? is a big storyline. Do, do you know if the guy you traded with like is now aware of? They're, they're gone. I don't think he. Was, I don't think. Yeah, that's a, that's the tragedy. I know. That, right. Wow. He should have given up. So I still have mine. So um, so yeah. So then those X Men went out the window, but I kept collecting. And I stayed with Daredevil, and I am still a Daredevil collector. And I believe, if I remember correctly, I have to go check the years, but I believe in 2017 hmm. or 2016, 2016, I completed the quest. I completed Daredevil. I'd started the Daredevil backfill collection or, or project, and I have them all. I have the entire wow. Vault 1 Daredevil wow. 1998 and 10 annuals. Got them all. And this so, is, yeah, this is what you call breaking news. Oh my goodness! Bad yeah. shout out to uh, to Marcia Giroux over at All About Comics in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. She was my contact, and I finally down there for spring training. A lot of folks hooked me up. Um, the original plan had been to um, my girlfriend had bought me Daredevil number one as a gift, poor condition, and I had to, I didn't you don't want to do this right because it's bad taste, you know, mm -hmm. hey, honey, how much did you pay for this? Right. <laughs> Three fifty for that thing. And it's shredded. It's <laughs> oh awful. my God. I was like, all right. So the goal is to go get a real daredevil number one for the collection, you know, because mm -hmm. the one I got is like, it's, it's, it's poor condition. It's like stapled. It's shredded. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's ruined, but I have it. I got mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. So the goal is to uh, is to maybe go back, and uh, that would be the last thing to do in that collection. So sixty four to ninety eight, I've got that finished out. That and um, so I've been looking forward to uh, to the MCU 
And I remember 1999, 98, 99, when Marvel went bankrupt, I was like, you know what? It, it wouldn't be bad to buy some Marvel stock right now. And of course I never did. No. <laughs> but I worked anyway, so I guess it all evened out. Yeah, I don't think anybody could have pictured uh, what the MCU and Marvel turned into yeah. uh, currently in 2020, even with the pandemic and uh, how much money that they've made in this, uh, in this time period. One thing I did want to ask you about the Daredevil thing. So since you're, you told me that you wanted to make a case for Daredevil, um, what specifically did you want to, want to say what, about that? What is the case? Well, first, the, the first case is a pleading case. I'm just pleading that somebody somewhere who's got more game than what we've seen in the past can really do Daredevil, right? Daredevil mm -hmm. has... Still do not believe I know that Daredevil on Netflix got all kinds of play and you can discuss that in a minute but my case for Daredevil is that I honestly believe that Daredevil would be a fantastic movie I really believe that Daredevil and it's always gotten sort of short shrift as a as a, as a character and I remember when we were kids Daredevil was bi-monthly mm. So everybody else came out every month. Oh, okay. Even the, the Defenders came out every month. Daredevil came out once every two months. Wow. So you had to wait. Finally, 171, when he fought the Kingpin, it was monthly. And mm -hmm. so um, so that was a big deal. But I, you know, I saw the Ben Affleck Daredevil. <laughs> and I was like, why? I, did, why, why? I have a funny story about seeing that. Um, similar to your son and Avengers. Because I am uh, the young one on the pod, I was like seven or eight when that movie came out. And my older cousin, who was like 13 or whatever, or no, I think he was only like 12, had his like birthday party for, uh, for like family and friends at a screening of Daredevil. And I remember my other uncle got so mad at my cousin's dad. Like, why are you, I took my kids to this, like people getting stabbed, with, like getting thrown ass thrown at them. Uh, so yeah, when you said the Avengers thing, I was thinking about that, how that was like the first movie I remember seeing where even I thought like, I shouldn't, probably shouldn't be seeing this. <laughs> well, I mean, one, they've never been able to get the Daredevil costume right. That's mm -hmm. just always, it just never looks right. I mean, it's a, it's a harder costume than it looks because it's, it's got, it, it's like Thor in some ways where it's got some really tacky elements that don't mm -hmm. translate very well to mm -hmm. screen. It's got horns on it, the hem, the, mm -hmm. the his mask actually has horns, which looks silly, like, which is why I'm really glad that they got rid of Thor's helmet. No, mm. no metal wings for Thor. Just yeah. give me Chris Helmsworth locks and we're good with that. Uh, yeah. It was a disaster. You know, Ben Affleck was a disaster. Um, Michael Clark Duncan as the Kingpin, I thought was very cool. Oh, great. That's yeah, pretty movie. good. And when they showed him the opening scene, I was like, oh man, we're onto something. And then we weren't onto something. No. We um, Colin Farrell as Bullseye, I thought, had potential as well. I was like, okay, we've got some potential here. And then it fell apart. And then, of course, with the, t with the you know, with the Netflix, I, I lost it. And everybody told me, they're like, finally, you're going to be happy. Netflix has nailed it. They've got it. This is going to be exactly what you want. What did you guys think of the Netflix Daredevil? Okay, um... Well, I, I'll, I'll label it this way. It had three seasons. Season one was pretty good. Season two, I thought they included way too many characters and way too many stories, and it got a little convoluted. And the point of, the, the point of, the, of uh, Matt Murdock's arc 
was kind of lost. I thought season three really was well done. Um, I thought the villain was well done. Um, I thought the whole um, losing his identity element was very well done. And I know they took it from a famous uh, uh, comic book storyline in season three. Um, so you had the creation of Bullseye. Uh, you had uh, Kingpin basically taking Matt's whole identity and turning it on him. Um, it, th that story was done pretty well. And I also thought that the action well, they, scenes, the fighting was top notch. So they did do Born Again in season three. I haven't gotten there yet because yeah. I sort of gave it away. Yeah, Born Again 227 to 233 is one of the greatest comic sagas of all time. You yeah. can't. What they did with that, I mean, it, it was phenomenal then. Imagine being a, 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 a 16, 17-year-old waiting for that thing to come out every month. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was I mean, what they what they had done with that. Um, so I will, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the process. I'm going to give it a shot and go through it all. The reason why I struggled with season one, mm -hmm. twofold. Number one, number one, I understand that we live in a time period where people... Um, do not have a lot of patience for virtue. Okay. We don't have a lot of Pollyannas. We want our characters to have edge to them. Like if you watch mm -hmm. all the, you know, the, we, we, you know, the breaking bad guys, you know, the yeah. guys, mm -hmm. good guy with edge, Homeland, mm -hmm. good person with edge. We, the anti-hero. Anti-heroes, they're all anti-heroes, right? So you've got to have some sort of edge to you. I get that, however, if you turn Daredevil into a bloodlust character, then he becomes Wolverine or the Punisher. Daredevil mm -hmm. is the bleeding heart. Yeah. That makes him the character that he is. He's a reluctant fighter. If you make him a fighter who wants to fight, he's not Daredevil. Mm -hmm. and so, in fact, one of your guests, Karima Shaw, we've had this battle. And she's like- Shout out to Karima. Like, <laughs> exactly, she's like, no, you gotta stick with it. She's like, don't dog this <laughs> Right. I'm, for you, I'm going to stick with it. So I will I will keep that promise to her. But that's where it, it lost me because I was like, this is not Matt Murdock. There's only been a very, there have been very few times when Matt Murdock really wants to knock somebody out. Mm -hmm. You know, one of them was when Melvin Potter fell off the wagon and he fought from that was in 226. Um, there was another time when he went after him after the drug, the drug dealers in, um, I think that was one the 183, 184. There was another one when he went after him in 173. Um, the one that they did for when, when Becky uh, was in the wheelchair and they beat her up in the bar. You know, so there are, a few, there are a few times when Daredevil really loses it. But generally speaking, he's not Wolverine. He's not yeah. the punk. Not that dude. I think right. that a thing that, because I like the third season of Daredevil a lot. I think a thing that you talked about, though, I think the reason why I like the Daredevil show when it's good it has really nothing to do with the Daredevil character. I think that the villain, especially Vince D'Onofrio, I think is really, really, really good. And I think that the themes that they cover, especially in when it's the Vince D'Onofrio character, um, yeah. in season one and three, there's so much stuff I love where it's just how they portray a system or like yeah. you can never win. Um, yeah. Like there's a great moment in season one, which I think you, I don't know if you're how much how far you got in when um, the whole yeah when a guy in a criminal inter being interrogated mentions Wilson Fisk's name and the one cop yeah. laughs to the other and like he has to punch the cop because they have to shoot the guy and act like he was like yeah. every, the fact that like there's a whole system where no one can touch him yeah. those themes I think really worked. And exactly. I think that they are perfect for today. I think that you're right though where the Daredevil character 
because his backstory doesn't support a bloodlust, it never felt, and this is coming from like, I'm, you know, not super familiar with the comics. So just outside of that, I was just like, what are his motivations? Why is he doing this? Because like, doing- whenever they would bring it up, it would just be like kind of hand wavy, like, oh, Catholicism, what a yada, 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 yada. Um, yeah. I think in the third season where a lot of it takes place at a church, they are able to explore it more. Um, yeah. And his character motivation starts to make more sense. Um, and then I think season two was completely modeled because the all the stuff with the hand it didn't seem like they knew what to do with and they didn't know what to do with Electra and they didn't know what to do with how to incorporate the mysticism into the show so it kind yeah. of just felt lost and I think the so, other and I think the other thing before you go ahead Howard is uh season two introduces the Punisher and the mm-hmm. Punisher by the way I thought was was very well done I actually think the character is really good hey hey buddy uh what you go the the character was really well done but I think the problem is he kind of overshadowed Matt Murdock in that season and it kind of like it threw things off to a, a degree because John Bernthal is also just like a better actor than Charlie Cox in his yeah. respect he just blows him off the screen honestly but that's the and that's the problem this is the reason why if you have two characters that are too similar then the better actor wins right yeah the, if you go to Daredevil and the Punisher whether it was 183 184 go to Daredevil um, versus Wolverine in 247, 248. If you go into those different areas where they go at it, the reason why those battles are so compelling is because the, the personalities of the two characters are so different. Yeah. Like, the time we, you know, when Wolverine looks at him and says, you know what, I am so sick of you and your bleeding heart. It's almost like when, <laughs> when you know, it's almost like when, when, when Tony says to Cap to punch you in your perfect teeth, you know, yeah. you know like they're really, really different, you know, they're different yeah. characters. The other reason why it, I struggled with it is because of my own problems. I have my own personal problems, right? I mean, we right. like, there are certain storylines we like and there are some storylines we don't like. I am not a ninja hand guy. Mm-hmm. So I don't oh. love, I didn't love that. I hated of- it. I yeah. hated it so much. I, yeah. I don't know if I thought, I'm glad it wasn't just there was poorly done because I thought it was all just like, and the the defenders, I think it was even worse with it. Where like they oh, just yeah, didn't agree, know yeah. what to do. Like they, yeah. the rules weren't clear, and it's kind of I don't know. It just felt out of place. Not that you can't have a non mystical character fighting mystical people, but it just yeah. felt like why is this? They didn't establish why Daredevil's the one who fights the hand and what the hand wants and all that stuff. And so when they introduced it, it's like wait, I thought this was about him taking on a business magnate who's evil. Why are they suddenly? doing, you know, spells and stuff. Um, right, and then right. that brings in Iron Fist, which I don't even want to talk well, about. Well, you know, that's a whole nother thing. I couldn't, I can get through almost anything and I only watched the first season. I was <laughs> like, nope, we're not reviewing season two on the show. I'm not going to do it. That is the only thing. Like, we're all going to, like, we're all going to sort of navigate toward the story that we like. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was always, when it came to Daredevil, I loved what Miller did, but Miller was a big, you know, hand guy. If you go look at the rest, I think from 174 until about 191, with the exception of a couple of, of storylines, obviously the Electra storyline, Electra Bullseye in the epic 181, you know, where he kills Electra. I mean, everything else in that period has been <clears throat> stick, Black Widow, Electra, and the hand. And so a lot of ninja, a lot of swordplay, all that. And that just didn't really do a whole lot for no. me. Um, <clears throat> but but otherwise, I sort of feel like the the character has spent, you know, the, the Daredevil backfill project for me was, was because I'm a collector. Right. You know, it wasn't because I read them anymore. And because Daredevil, the 20 cent, 12 cent early on Daredevil, 
that that character took a long time to try to figure out what it was because daredevil was first it was sort of he was sort of like spider-man without the superpowers it really was until frank miller i know gene conlon was um Gene Colon, rather, um, was the guy who really was the, the first true Daredevil, you know, Daredevil anchor and artist. But to me, it really wasn't until Frank Miller took over that character in, one, in 158 where you really understood that he had his own personality. He wasn't Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. He wasn't Daredevil. He wasn't, I mean, he wasn't the Punisher. He wasn't Wolverine. And you got to really figure out sort of who you are character-wise. And, and I think also with that character as well, Remember that for at least until Miller took over, for 10 to 15% of that character, he shared it with the Black Widow. It was Daredevil and the Black Widow. So he had, mm-hmm. it was almost like, it was like Captain America and the Falcon for years. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, he didn't even really have his own comic book for the entire run. So I'm curious, um, if, say for instance, and I'm assuming that the MCU is eventually going to bring Daredevil to the big screen, um, is there any particular actor that you would like to play him, or is there any particular story you would like to see done um, in, in the film with uh, Daredevil? Yeah, the last thing I was going to say about that was also the, the level of violence in season one, the fight scenes, where they were not, they're unsustainable for somebody who's trying to maintain a secret identity, especially mm-hmm. someone blind. I mean, those fight scenes were so violent, mm-hmm. there's no possible way you could go to work the next day. Yeah. <laughs> You're looking at Rosario Dawson trying to nurse this guy back to health, and you're going, this, this is not sustainable. Everyone's going to know who you are. It's right. going to be... Um, I love two storylines. Obviously, Born Again is the greatest Daredevil story. Yeah. Fantastic. But let's not forget, um, absolutely, uh, Gangland. When the, when the Kingpin comes back, you have a great opportunity for a Spider-Man tie-in. You could go Spider-Man 197 when the Kingpin beats his ass and leaves him there and moves to Japan. And then you could bring him back into 170 when he comes back to, Dare, to Daredevil 170. Mm-hmm. Amazing Spider-Man 7 to Daredevil 170 would be up until 172. That is an amazing storyline because you've got the Kingpin, you've got Spider-Man, and you've got Bullseye. You've got really good stuff there. There's always been the rumor of with the, the way that the Spider-Man storyline is right now with uh, Peter basically, his, he's been outed, uh, his identity's been outed by Jameson and, uh, and Mysterio. That was great, by the way. That was a great ending. <laughs> you was, love that? That was, well, I, was, I was like, what are you doing? I think the thing I loved about it is I think, beyond, I, I mean, however they do the third Spider-Man movie is how I'm going to end up feeling about the choice. But I just thought that whoever in some meeting pitch room said in, in uh, 2019 where newspapers are dying, J. Jonah Jameson is Alex Jones. I think that that person deserves all the credit in the world because that I just thought was an amazing, it made me laugh so hard in, in uh, I don't know, I, I thought that was great. It was unexpected, yeah. yeah. What I thought was kind of interesting about it was was the utility of the secret identity in today's world. It's probably non-existent. I was yeah. mad when I first saw it, and then I was like, well, wait a minute. How sustainable and how, how um, I don't want to say realistic because we're talking about comics, but yeah. you know, from a suspension of disbelief standpoint, how much are we acting in a world of cell phones and cell mm-hmm. phone internet and everything else and surveillance? There is no way you could maintain a secret identity in today's world. So maybe the maybe they're just making that choice that the secret identity is not should no longer be a part of comics because you can't maintain it anyway. Yeah, I agree with uh, that. I, uh, yeah. Oh, did you did you lose me? Am I still on? 
No, you're still, you were muted for a second. Oh, okay. Uh, no, but I'll, I was just going to say that I think that that's right. And I think that I, I, I also kind of get the feeling that, um, wait, did Howard drop out? I lost his video. No, no, I'm here. Oh. I'm, I was shutting, I'm closing out some windows in case I'm slowing down. No worries. Um, yeah, yeah exactly. I've been dropping out, but that's because my internet at, uh, um, at my parents' place right now, it's kind of spotty. So uh, anyway, um, no, but I think that, I think part of it is almost that like Sony, the Marvel Sony partnership, they almost don't know how many more swings they're going to get at it. Yeah. So like, I don't think that they have the luxury to be like, let's do, let's slow play these stories. So I think if it's like, at some point we want to reveal Peter's identity, it's like, we have to do it now. Cause like at any moment we could lose the character. Which they almost did. It yeah, was exactly. almost a thing uh, yeah. last year. So, I mean, it's one of those things where, I, like you like you were talking about the Daredevil Spider-Man kind of interaction. So, I mean, you could kind of see a story where Daredevil's the lawyer who helps Spider-Man on the run because he's probably, he's basically a vigilante who who had all these drones and all this other stuff. So, yeah. I mean, if they if they ever decided to do that, I would be interested in that. There's, yeah. there's so many different ways that they can um, get Daredevil in there and um, have him make an, a real impact um, in the yeah. ground version of the MCU, especially if you're including that we're going to see Shang-Chi uh, very shortly and the Defenders and all that stuff. So, you know, it'll, it'll be fascinating to see and, how and I think, decide to play. And I, we've talked about this a lot, that the way to sustain the MCU going forward is that you can only do so many movies where the entire world's at stake that yeah. I think you need to be able to have movies where there's smaller stakes. That's what the Spider-Man movies... Got a little the, uh, homecoming, I think it really it's like you world ending. It's like, well, we already oh, went through this the major problem that I, this is not yeah. who he is. You can't have him in you know, all those drones and everything else. He simply, you know, I thought they had to bring the scale down. Mm-hmm. They had to, to scale down to his level. He's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you exactly in his, you know, within his title, what his his limitations are. And I think that there's lots of room for small stories. And I think that you think about it, and I understand when you've got a $200 million budget and you've got all these toys and you've got this guy and you can do Mm -hmm. these great special effects. Of course you want everything to be apocalyptic, but how different is Endgame from X-Men Apocalypse from Batman versus when all of these films are are Armageddon based, when all of them are, are, you know, ragged up, the fate of the entire universe is always at stake. A lot of characters can't sustain that. They can't handle that. I mean, that there's a reason why the Avengers and the Fantastic Four are out there fighting Galactus and some of the big big guys, and Spider-Man was around the corner fighting Doctor Octopus. There's a reason for that, and so those storylines have to be able to, you have to be able to to tell stories within them. What is what is Daredevil going to do against Thanos? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, is, what is Hawkeye going to do against Thanos? And like, and there he is. And then, you know, there, there's Natasha Romanoff out there fighting way over her pay grade, way over her skis. You're not going to be able to uh, to have those sort of fights. To- yeah, I feel like I feel like at least in Phase Four, it feels like they're trying to they're going to try and separate things. You got the Shang Chi element, which uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do that. They have the whole. Um, alternate reality scenario with uh, not only WandaVision, but the Doctor Strange uh, sequel. Yeah. And um, and then you have the whole space element with uh, Thor and the Eternals. 
So it, yeah. it feels like they're trying to separate all these stories. And, uh, and, and obviously Spider-Man is kind of on the ground too, in a sense, is a more grounded story. So I'm really curious to see how they kind of just map all these things out. They seem to have a pretty, one thing I can say about them, they have a pretty clear plan of what they want to do. So it's just a matter of telling those stories in a, in a way that uh, continues to feel fresh. And, yeah. and, and that's the thing that I was curious about after Endgame, um, and I've talked about this before on this show, is, is keeping things fresh. And I think obviously the new characters will provide that. And, and is there anything for you, Howard, that you're looking forward to in terms of uh, what Phase 4 is going to bring? Are you a fan of the whole Disney Plus TV show element that they're trying to do? with uh, Captain uh, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and stuff like that. What, what's your thoughts on that? Well, my thought is, is that it, it, when you start getting into this, into the different, into the next phase, you, at least for me, because like I said, I'm not an active comic book reader anymore. I mean, I read, I go back and read my old stuff, right? I go back, I still live, we own our time, right? So mm -hmm. I own my time. I still live within my time. All the different comics that I used to read, I still read them. Um, so, the issue for me has always been when it came to the movies, I watched the movies from the comics that I read. Yes. You know, I did not, I mean, I, co I collected Defenders, but if I remember correctly, boy, the last time I read Defenders, which is probably 35 years ago, but I remember that that group was Doctor Strange, Hellcat, She-Hulk. Yeah, it changed a lot. Yeah, yeah, Hulk was in there for a minute. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, so how interested am I going to be in characters I didn't read? That's going to be a really interesting part for me in terms of how much more interest I have in it. And also, child is aging and he's going to be going to college or whatever in a couple of years. You know, that sort of shared experience is going to dictate and determine how much more of it I get into. Unless they bring characters that I like. I mean, as long as Spider-Man mm -hmm. is still part of it, as long as, I mean, depending on what they do with some of these other characters. I was never a big... Um, Eternals guy. Mm -hmm. um, Neither was I. I really yeah, barely knew them at all. Really get into that. So when they start going into stuff, I didn't read Guardians that much. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's going to be real interesting. I remember as we were thinking about this that in 90, 94, 95, one of my friends got a bootleg of that original Fantastic Four movie. Mm -hmm. oh, no. And we started watching. <laughs> and I, I was like, yeah, you know, but it just wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. So yeah. it's, it would be really interesting to see. I mean, like, it's like, for example, you've got, you've got the scrolls. Yeah. But you don't have the Fantastic Four anywhere. Mm -hmm. That's and a great so, point. You yeah. know, I mean, they were there in Fantastic Four number one. That's it's like, it's, it's like, for example, Venom, they're doing the Venom movie with no Spider-Man involved. There's just that it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> Right, exactly. So I'm trying to look forward to it. I was never a huge Luke Cage guy. The people told me that the, you know, Luke Cage season one was really great. Um, I watched a couple of them, but half of it was, it was, was good. Fine. I thought the it was second half. Rated. The second half. Um, the second half Bad. took a downturn. Um, once, yeah. once Marshall died, guy, it really yeah. was just, yep. just not good. Yep. And that was. You know, yeah, I mean, it's you know, and I'm wondering what they're gonna do with T'Challa as well. You know, with you know the Black Panther character. I was never a huge Black Panther guy. As mm -hmm. a kid, he didn't have any powers, right? So, wasn't that big into him. Um, but I sort of liked him better as an Avenger as they fought as a group. Mm -hmm. Yes, 
So, I mean, it, like I said, I think it's going to be way more character-based for me. I think it's going to be real interesting to see what they do with the Spider-Man character. I think that what they did with Tom Holland was fantastic. Um, yeah. The biggest issue I had with the Spider-Man, with Spider-Man as a character, um, was the fact that, and I think Doctor Strange nailed it, who is this, your ward? The fact that everybody works for Tony Stark, I got a problem with that. Um, I hate the fact in comic book movies why everybody has to be related. I understand that they do that to keep the world tighter, yeah. to make it manageable, I get that part, but not every character has some personal connection to every other character. It's just mm -hmm. not like that. And so um, I try very, very hard to make sure that you try to treat the movies as separate from what you grew up with. Otherwise you're always going to be disappointed. It's really hard. And this, this actually leads me to um, a question I was gonna definitely ask you. So a running gag on this show is my disdain for Iron Man 3 and uh, what they did with the Mandarin character, uh, turning him into Trevor Slattery. I have, I, I have had many rants on, um, mm -hmm. on <laughs> Jake Biggs. It's really, right it's now. just like the, the whole thing is just, if you want to derail a conversation, bring up Iron Man. 3 oh my God. It's just like, uh, yeah. why? Still, right, exactly why. And that's, that is how I felt. That was how I felt about Amazing Spider-Man 3. I was like, what are you guys, what are you doing? But at the same time, you know, going back to um, to the MCU for just a quick second. Sure. You're, when you start thinking about the, that making that distinction between characters, you have to also remember, and I think this is sort of the fun thing for some of us and then not so much fun for other people, mm -hmm. but you also have to remember the real world, right? I mean, that's yeah. the, that's sort of, that's sort of the beauty of all of this. Like when you're watching, when I think about the MCU when we got done watching Endgame and I remember going out and having this conversation with my son and his best friend on the way home. And I was like, so what did you think guys? And they were telling me what they thought. And then I had to sort of say, okay, let's pull, let's pull this story out into the real world. What you witnessed is a, one of the great, great, remarkable stories in history. Mm -hmm. Think about where Marvel Comics was yeah. to get to where they are now and to do it without three of their, their top three franchises. To do what they did without the Fantastic Four, mm -hmm. to do it without Spider-Man, and to do what they did without the X-Men. Yeah. That we're having this conversation is absolutely remarkable. And as much as I railed about Endgame essentially being, I, I love the fan service part of it. I hated the fact that the, that, you know, the last 40 minutes of the movie was essentially an ode to Robert Downey Jr. But then you realize that had to be done because he saved the whole damn franchise. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. Actor, he did I think, he yeah. I think that coming from the perspective of someone who got through this through the movies, because I just, you know, love movies and I love blockbusters and I think that the MCU is consistently the best blockbusters, the best franchise of blockbusters really in existence. Uh, I think that, that that's the thing I noticed that Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man is so much more central to the movies if you just take them as the movies. It's like he was, he was the main character of the MCU in a way that um, I didn't think I realized until even the movie, but like 
I heard that criticism afterwards, and I think it's definitely valid if you want to, if you take a look at like how the, the Avengers are and how they're not ever about one guy, but like taking as a whole arc, it's like, well, Iron Man is the most important Avenger in the MCU. And I think that, and I think that, I think that, uh, think that the MCU that does, it has done, I want them to continue to do is because of, because they're going to characters that people don't necessarily have an attachment to like the Eternals. I think they need, they have kind of always been like, they've been more faithful to the movies that have come before than they have been to the comics, if that makes sense. Like in the universe they built, we're going to live in a universe where Iron Man is a more important Avenger than Captain America. That's not the case, but in a lot of comics, but that's the universe we built and that's what people feel. And um, it just, it, it definitely it allows people like me to, rather than be someone who's coming into these movies because he likes the comics, I'm coming into the movies because I like the other movies. Because I just, they make 20 something movies that I just love, right? Well, and that's completely, and that's completely appropriate. And that's how it should be, especially because that's, the, the thing that made the MCU as, as good as it was, was one, you had a central character who was also a great actor, mm-hmm. right? Yes, 100%. You had, some, you had somebody who was going to be your anchor. Mm-hmm. And I, I love about what happened along that arc, even though I didn't like any of the Iron Mans, one, two, and three, because I'm not a Tony right? I don't really love Robert. I saw that. I, we're right. going to get into that in a second. <laughs> yeah. Continue. I absolutely love the fact that as you witnessed on screen, you saw at least two other actors that you probably didn't think had it in them mm-hmm. show some real star power. You saw Thor, Chris Helmsworth showed yes. star power, actor, and Chris Evans is a star. Yeah, yeah. He, he is. I mean, you wouldn't have thought that those guys could match, could match Robert Downey Jr. as an actor. And then, of course, when you bring in Samuel L. Jackson to sort of level and balance the whole thing as well. Mm-hmm. By, by the end of the MCU, you've got unbelievable acting talent on screen. Their casting's unbelievable. You've, yes. got, you've got really, really good actors. I tell my son this all the time. The reason why DC falls apart is because their actors aren't as good. No, and yeah. it's because they don't because they just cast whoever's hot. Like, oh, Ben That's, Affleck's hot right now; he's gonna be Batman. It's like, yeah. no, good, yeah, and, 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 and yeah. And there's uh, a reason reason why the best Supermans are still the first two. Yeah, Super- yeah. Because Gene Hackman's the best actor who's ever been in a DC movie. Yeah. Right. That's. I mean, you're not wrong. It's really kind of hard, and if and if you can't get that level of performance the comic itself can't carry you. You still yeah. need performance. Right? And I think, yeah. And I think an underrated thing too, is that this is specifically just about these new DC movies. I think so much the reason why the MCU is able to get someone like a Cate Blanchett to be in the third Thor movie, right? Is because clearly one, they make good movies and they know what they're doing. And also I don't think it really can be un- un- that's my, uh, uh, overemphasized that like, not an accident that the DC movies are bad and they are talked about as a miserable experience to make. Whereas no one has a bad thing to say about really making the Marvel movies, except for a couple of them. And yeah. not that they're, you know, also in giant rainbows, but I think that clearly they have a culture where they know how to, they're making good movies and that they know how to treat their stars right. And that they know that they're not going to sell them out and not going to make them look stupid. Um, and so like, if you're an A-list Oscar winning actor, you might be like, yeah, it seems a little, the material might be dumb and I'm going to have to wear a dumb costume, but it'll have fun for two weeks and my kids will be happy, you know? And that's just, yeah. 
and people are gonna know you. And when I saw Chris Evans in Snowpiercer, he was mm -hmm. great. And then when you see him in Knives Out, you're like, okay, that's Captain America. <laughs> right? He's really a star. And I get why he didn't want to be Captain America. And that actually helped his character in Knives Out because yeah. he was so, so much the anti-Cap in that movie. Yeah. It was an inside joke. It was hilarious. Like when he started swearing at everybody, right? You're like, wait a minute, Cap doesn't curse. He like admonishes people from cursing and like- Eat shit, eat shit. Right? It, <laughs> it, that's total Marvel, you know, Marvel send up. It's, it's, it's great stuff. And so I, I, I sort of find it to, um, to, to be able to create what we were also talking about in terms of what the accomplishment had been, you had a game plan here, right? And so when at the end of Endgame, when Pepper looks at Tony and says, you can rest now, that's the handoff to Tom Holland. That's like, we got our character back. We've got our main guy back. You mm -hmm. did your job, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Did your job, Tony. You brought the whole thing. You know, Robert Downey Jr. did everything he's supposed to do. Now, when I was listening to your Captain Marvel pod the other day, mm -hmm. um, all I was thinking of, and obviously Endgame hadn't come out yet, but the biggest missed beat in that to me was the fact that and at the funeral, Captain Marvel did not acknowledge Nick Fury. Mm -hmm. they, they just didn't even look. It was like, what a reunion. This was supposed to be, yeah. like, that's and they didn't even the biggest mistake that marvel made with captain marvel among other things i i, I like captain marvel more than other people do but that's all i just love real arson so yeah same here i, like I, I actually but like the movie yeah the thing that they should i don't even think they should have admitted this because this kind of colored a lot of stuff in the game the, the fact that they shot captain marvel scenes in Endgame before they shot the movie was yeah. like a huge mistake yeah. because the character that they have at the end of Captain Marvel is a very interesting, like multi-dimensional character. The character in Endgame is a, a blank canvas because they hadn't made the movie yet, so they couldn't contradict anything. That's right. And on and on top of that, the the fan service they had to do so many things, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So I always give Endgame a free pass. The mm -hmm. reason why I give Endgame a free pass is because you, how do you tie this up and make everybody happy? It's happen you had so many masters you had to serve in that you mm -hmm. had to give tony stark and give robert denny jr his curtain call to say thank you for everything but you also had to tie up this amazing storyline and you you had and you had to bring everybody back so you essentially turned that last fight scene into like a relay race just to give people some screen time yeah yeah right just give them a little bit of screen mm -hmm. time and so you try to give them a little bit of a pass there, but I think the hardest thing in looking at that last film was at the, at the end of the day, you had to decide which, what you were going to serve first. Yeah. Were you going to solve the, the, the riddle of what happened with the, with the blip? Were you going to tie up all these characters because you knew they all weren't coming back, mm -hmm. right? Right. You know Chris Hemsworth, I mean, although he's coming back, but you know Chris yeah. Evans is back. Yeah. Robert Denny done, so what do you do with that? And I and I think that um then you also had to to satisfy the fact that the fans needed to see that all their guys were alive. I will make this argument right now because mm -hmm. it can't it cannot be debated because it's my personal life, right? The two most amazing moments I've ever seen in a movie theater. Mm -hmm. Ever in a movie mm -hmm. was one, I was at the Amherst Cinema down the street from me when Prince died. After Prince died, they showed Purple Rain and it was like a wake, man. It was like being at a concert. Like mm -hmm. people, 
it was on screen, but people were like, I was like, all we need now is for people like to take out their lighters and start waving them in the theater. <laughs> Everybody was really so sad because he had just passed away a few months earlier. That, and of course, the end of Infinity War. And then mm -hmm. the end of Infinity yes. War went to disappear. And we saw that on opening night. People were screaming. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. same 100%. here. 100%. Opening night, we went and had the yeah. same, same reaction. People were shocked, couldn't believe it. It was, a, it was crazy. And, and when Spider-Man started to disintegrate, people lost their minds. Oh, were, man. <laughs> yeah. When Black Panther disintegrated, people walked out. Black people walked out the theater. It was too funny. <laughs> I was just laughing. I saw it at Union Square. There wasn't a lot of walking out. I don't know where you are. There were two oh, guys. Oh, man. Two guys behind us when when Tom Holland is going, I don't want to go. And they're going, boycott Marvel. Boycott. <laughs> boycott Marvel. And it was like this. And I was like, sort of taking it all in. And I'm watching my son because his like eyes are like this big because Spider-Man's dead. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? Mission accomplished, right? It was like that scene mm -hmm. in, um, uh, in Hitch, in the Hitchcock documentary with um, Helen Mirren, where, you know, he's, they're showing the violence in Psycho and he's like, doing his like symphony thing because in the, you can hear the people in the audience just screaming, mission accomplished. You want to talk about nailing? You want to give you, give the audience something they'll never forget? Mm -hmm. Start, start disappearing guys. Yeah. It was really, really amazing. So yeah. I still, at the end of the day, when I think about the MCU on balance, okay, do some of the stories fall apart? Sure. But in terms of yeah. the, the full scope of what, of what they accomplished, I think it's amazing to sort of pull outside of it and look at the real world that the company itself was bankrupt and then go back into the world of, of, yeah. of the self and look at what they did with all the characters mm -hmm. and then to try to tie it all together at the end. I'm, I will never be happy with what they did with the Hulk as a character. Listen, but on balance, I am, I'm not a hater. It's a home yeah. run. I think that a thing that I remarked right afterwards and every moment that other franchises come and try to do things, I just, I feel like in 20 years when we see like 15 expanded universes be terrible and not stick to landing, because this is like the first one of its kind. So it's easy to, you know, pull close with it. But like, I think that you're right. It just, it's such a complicated thing. And the fact that other franchises can't get like three movies in without screwing up is I think that that's a testament to the vision and to the, um, the, the way that they killed off half the characters in Infinity War. I think a lot of people poo-pooed saying that saying like, oh, but they're going to bring them back. But it's like, that's still a ambitious thing to do in what you want to, what, what you're trying to make the biggest movie ever. Like that's not, it's, it's not, um, easy it doesn't make that it, people were shaken at coming out of my movie theater it, that was yeah. real i was there um mm -hmm. and i think that to to try to negate how bold that choice was um by the fact that obviously yeah they're gonna come back they're right. he's spider-man he's black panther they you know made a bunch of money but i think it was when just you that equals were already set up so of course they exactly yeah Ex but i think that it does a disservice to the, the act of watching a story to say that just because you know technically the end result, the the way the characters grow and change doesn't matter. Because the thing about the Tom Holland death, which got me when I would rewatch it before Endgame, is like, you watch Tony Stark. 
Tony Stark lives. He's going to live with that. Like, that's real to him still. That he still yeah. watched the kid that he plucked out of obscurity. He, he, in his mind, he got to get killed. And that's still real. And that stuff is the stuff that made so many people come to the Marvel movies and why I think that different ways to try to denigrate them make me annoyed because it's like people cheered and screamed at these Infinity War and Endgame not because of the cool special effects or like the costumes or the big explosions. It's like because they care about these characters. They made us care. They made us care. And I think... Yeah, yeah, and that's unbelievable. Right. And And I think the thing with Infinity War is... And it's why I, I actually, I do feel like it's the best one out of all of them is because of what they had to do. I found that it was a cinematic achievement because you just think of about what it built up to prior with the, with the first 18 films. And then you're bringing pretty much all of the characters together and you're trying to pull off these stories. And it did not, it didn't feel, that movie didn't feel rushed. Um, that story was told really well with Thanos as the, basically the protagonist of the movie. I mean, and the Avengers kind of as the weaker uh, heroes uh, orbiting around this this Titan kind of trying to take over and everything. It was just so well done and it kind of hit these, it hit these notes and it did not feel, um, it did not feel formulaic. It was just really, really good. And I think it allowed Endgame to be the fan service. It allowed Endgame to have that that moment for for us who have been following this all this entire time. And you know, it, it makes us overlook things. Like you mentioned the Captain Marvel aspect of, of Endgame and uh, Jake made a great point as far as the as when the scenes were shot. Um, I thought she could have played a much bigger role in the movie in general if you wanted to kind of pass it off to her in a sense. Um, she yeah, there are definitely yeah, yeah for sure. There are definitely some missteps, but I think like in the grand scheme of things, it is so difficult to have that many characters, that many big time actors in a movie, and make it work and make it credible. And that's what they did. And that and for and for that fact, that's why like you can you can look at this whole entire body of work and uh, and look at it as a great achievement. To be honest with you. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why, like, for me, I think about the word big, right? Let's think about big and bigness for just a minute. When I saw Avengers, you know, 2012, that New York fight scene was as big yeah. fight scene as I think I've ever seen on Earth, right? I mean, I don't, I'm not really a Transformers guy. I didn't watch all those. Dirt. So maybe there are other bigger scenes, but for my universe- You can't tell from the action, you can't see it. <laughs> when, <laughs> right? When right. those things, when, 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 you know, when the hole is opened up in the sky and then, mm-hmm. you know, Kari is coming out and those lizard things are coming out and the whole thing, you're looking at that and you're going, this is an apocalyptically huge scene, right? Mm-hmm. This is, yeah. and then when you watch, you know, six years later, you watch Infinity. Infinity was bigger than that. Yeah, and so and Endgame's bigger than that. Now yeah. I think, end, I don't think the Endgame, the bigness of Endgame, helped it. I thought it would have been. I think maybe the movie would have been better if it went started to scale down by the end mm-hmm. and scale down to just the Avengers versus Thanos and let that smallness make the mm-hmm. fight yeah yeah um, and i thought that would have done you know more of a service but at the same time at the beginning of of infinity war not the actual beginning but when they get down to earth and peter's on the bus and he looks up and he sees that spaceship thing, 
Mm -hmm. I mean, keep trying to look at the scale of the film, right? You're trying to figure out how big is that spaceship in comparison to the rest of the, like the trees and the Central Park or wherever they are down there. And that scene, and the movie just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And then by the time, you know, by the time they get onto the spaceship and start going into space, it is, the stakes are so clear. Mm -hmm. They did an amazingly great job of letting you feel as when you're watching that movie, like if you're watching the people running down the street when Dr. Strange comes out of the brownstone. Yeah. The world's ending. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. and <laughs> the world is ending. And the, the, the comp to me, what I had, you know, what I was really watching out for was, okay, and this goes back, Jake, to your point about the world ending scenarios. And at this stage in, in our lives, in terms of the movie making that's out there, everybody's ending the world. The world is constantly yeah. being, right? Yeah. So there's the sensation there. And you think about it in terms of X-Men Apocalypse, where it's like, okay, oh. how, over, how do you overcome? The, you, don't, you can't make the odds too big, mm -hmm, right? Yeah. Or watch Lord, you know, Lord of the Rings, right? Right. In the second Lord of the Rings, okay, on the seventh day, I'll be, and it's like, there's no possible way you guys can win. And then all of a sudden Gandalf goes, magic. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> it. That's, that's the answer. You can just come in and snap your fingers away and, and take care of everything. And so you always run that risk when you make the stakes too absolutely high that you can't pull it off. You can't pull it together. And you see, you see it in the X-Men movies in both of them are the, in, in, the first X-Men, I think they did a better job with it. The second one, X-Men... Um, uh, X2, X-Men United. United, you see that a little bit, you know, once again, where you've created a scope that you, your heroes probably really shouldn't win this. Yeah. And, um, and then, of course, X3 was a sloppy Joe movie. It was just all over the place, mm -hmm. right? So I, I thought what they, that was the big question when we got to Endgame, like my son and I are like poking each other watching the movie about, okay, how big are you gonna make this? And are you gonna make it so big that eventually you're not gonna be able to keep it together because the stakes are just too high? Yeah. I said, I was like, when they were starting to set up the movie and they were deciding to go back through the quantum tunnel and the whole thing, mm -hmm. and I was like, you know what? I started whispering, I'm going, I don't think they're coming back. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, I think that maybe this movie is a message to enjoy what you have, that you can't go back. Like when Thor goes back and there's, you know, and there's Rene Russo in a salad and he knows he can't save her. Mm -hmm. And they all go back and you're like, okay, um, maybe, maybe what this movie's gonna be is a chance for everyone to go back and say goodbye, but they can't win at the, at the end. And that there's a message in that. And I was like, that would be really dark and heartbreaking, but it would be poignant as well. Yeah. And, it's, and so then they come all the way back and you get to the final fight scene. And, you know, obviously, you know, Nebula's betrayal and the whole thing, you're looking at this going, by the end, I'm looking at my boy before the final fight scene. And I'm going, are they really going to lose to Thanos again? Mm -hmm. Is that really possible? Are they going to lose again? And mm -hmm. so... That was the part of the movie where you looked at it and you said, okay, they have to try to figure out what master to serve. Mm -hmm. You're going to, you know, and I, oh, I still felt like I thought they underplayed Thanos's death. I, I thought agree. they, 
I thought they played that really calm, and I thought it should have been more of a momentous occasion. But they yeah, had so majestic. Many other- yeah. Mm-hmm. He had it all sh- the pomp and his- circumstance. Yeah. It should have been bigger, but they sacrificed the Thanos death scene for the Tony Stark death scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's you know, in retrospect, thinking about, it, I never thought of it that way, and it's it, it's true. Like for for the Tony Stark character, it was just such. It almost became bigger than life, and that's why, like, I think in Spider Man Far From Home, um, they tried to kind of show the remnants of that throughout the film, um, mm-hmm. and I found that interesting. So now. I, finally, I could get to this uh, to get to your Tony Stark uh, issues because you posted this um, earlier today. So, so please do tell Howard uh, what are your issues with Mister Stark. Well, no, first let's talk about the flex of you. You post like I'm going to the MC University uh, later, and then you're just like, and yeah, you know, sometimes when I can't sleep or it's late and I can't write, I sometimes text CC Sabathia my Tony Stark. I was going to ask you to come on with us. I mean, I was going <laughs> just to come on and come do it because every time I go in the clubhouse, right? By the mm-hmm. time I go in. The- us because i don't cover the yankees every day anymore mm-hmm. so periodically by the time i would get out there you know one of the movies would have come out and he would walk up now of course cc also told me that aquaman was great and i was like you know we don't do dc he's like no i'm telling you man check it out i'm like you know you just crossed oh, man. that's crazy. I, mean, I went to go wonder woman on general principle uh-huh. i don't really see movies I'm just not a, I'm a, I'm old school make mine Marvel, right? Right. I feel you. Box checker from the comic books, you know, writing letters directly. Where's my no prize? I mean, I am old school Marvel comics, okay? Mm-hmm. And so, but you come in and there's see, he's the big Iron Man guy, huge mm-hmm. dark guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, this is the most arrogant, selfish. I said, you know what? I said, count this. Look at the number of times he set the whole world on fire with his selfish. I'm serious. I'm going to go back. Yeah. I'm going to and go back and look at the number of times his arrogant ass got everybody killed or came very close to getting everybody killed. Here's a guy that doesn't want to keep secrets, as you guys were talking about the other day. Here's a guy that doesn't want to keep secrets in, in the Avengers, and then yet he creates Ultron. It also bothered yeah. me that Hank Pym actually created Ultron, but that's yes. another story. Yeah, that's true. Book from, the, from the movies, understood. But... Endgame, this fucker is gonna go back and he's just turn his back on humanity because he's got a nice house in the country. Yeah. <laughs> it takes takes a look at Peter Parker while he's doing it. He goes, Oh yeah, well maybe I ought to give him one more. What <laughs> about? Right now, this is yeah. a Cap household. There's no getting around that, right? This is the Thor Cap household. There's really no, there's, it's sort of non-negotiable. The good news is, is that nobody wants to negotiate it because my son feels the same way I feel, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're good with that. But go back and look at Civil War, wrong side of history. Look at Endgame, wrong side of history. Go look at the Avengers, right? Oh, I would just cut the wire. You know what? No, you wouldn't. Because it doesn't work that way, asshole, right? Like, it doesn't work. A question though. Uh, you think you think that Tony Stark was on the wrong side in all Civil War? Because I think that Cap was really unreasonable for a lot of it. <laughs> Here's the beauty of Cap, though, right? Here's the beauty of Cap in Civil War. Mm-hmm. You realize that Captain America has been setting up for the for the the majority of the franchise, and you don't really really get it 
until you start to get to the end of civil war. Mm -hmm. He is the United States. He mm -hmm. is a, he's a warrior. He has no home. He really has no allies. He's a fighter. Mm -hmm. His entire response to everything is to fight. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. when you look at him, that character is, you know, and I love Chris Evans, the way, what he's done with that character. But mm -hmm. when you, it wasn't until Civil War where you realize that his first instinct, second instinct, third instinct is to fight. On the one hand, you, you think it, 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 at first it appears to be honorable that mm -hmm. Cap always go down without a fight. But then you start to look at the character in its totality and he actually rejects the other parts of the world in order to fight. How about a girl? No, I'll stay here. How about this? This feels like home to me. He's a warrior. He's yeah. a soldier. And, and yeah, it, was he unreasonable in Civil War? Completely and totally uncompromising. But he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. And the yeah, I is, yeah, I think what happens is, and it, I think it's to your point about uh, the Tony Stark character being the beloved character, is the, the uh, fact, the idea that you put the whole, oh, you held back that this guy killed my parents. And I think... Right. And I and listen. Don't get me wrong. That was one of the reasons why I it took Tony's side towards the end of the film, um, as opposed to earlier in the film, where it, where you're on the yeah rebellion cap. Yeah, I'm I'm with it. But then when you find that secret out, it's like oh, that kind of colors everything, and it, and it kind of changes things. Still worst fight in the MCU. I mean, still he he killed he killed mom. That's the worst line in the MCU. It's the worst line. Of all the films come out? No, the worst line is also in Civil War. It's where uh, War Machine says, congratulations, Cap, you're a criminal. That's the worst <laughs> line I give to you. <laughs> and see, but here, you know, in mad respect to Don Cheadle, I loved him as Mouse and Devil in the Blue Dress. But, the, but once again, the name War Machine, mm -hmm. just as a character, once again, you know, there's a lot of Empire stuff going oh, on. Oh, for sure. Where, you know, and obviously, when you follow, you know, what Tanahasi Coates did with the Captain America character as well, where he essentially starts to turn, you know, and what and what you saw happen in in Winter Soldier, where mm -hmm. he's realizing that, you know what, same thing as he said to Fury in the Avengers, you know, some things haven't changed, director, right? I was wrong about this, right? And so he's he's his own person, but you also start to, to realize that, um there's a bloodlust in Captain America that you wouldn't see at first, that you mm -hmm. wouldn't like obviously immediately pick up because you feel like he's, he's, the, he's the Pollyanna, but he's really not. He's a fighter. Mm -hmm. it's, all, it's all he knows, literally yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. yeah I felt, I felt yeah. like, yeah, Cap's arc, um, I thought particularly was very well done from beginning to end, where I think the first Avenger, I think it didn't, I felt like that, trilogy aged the best like if you go back and and, and you watch um what uh cap is in that in the beginning of that till what he is by the end of uh, civil war into um uh infinity war and uh, endgame i think it was just really a great transformation and it's a credit to chris evans for what he did with that character that the transformation of, of his um ideology and and everything emotionally that the character went through with peggy and and all that yep. other stuff and uh, obviously Bucky too was uh was, was very 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 well done and completely yeah. completely uncompromising if you notice that is the thing when was the last time there's there's I don't know if there's a moment in the movie 
where or any any of the movies where Captain America compromises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. his way or the highway. I mean, it- and I think that it's so fascinating because one, I think the, the true thing, the thing that Chris Evans did with Captain America, which I think is the thing that he did best, is that it is so hard, particularly in a blockbuster movie, to play someone who is sincere yes. at all times and to not make it feel cheesy. And yes. he didn't. And I think that that's really, other than like the I just don't like bully li- bullies line, we talking about Nazis in First Avenger, but it's not here there. But I think that I think is <laughs> what you just made me think about when you said that he's a fighter is that. I think the reason we don't realize it is because when we first see him in a fight when he's small, it's that he just keeps getting back up, right? right. That his, he, the way he defines himself is that he's going to keep getting back up and getting into the fight. Well, what happens if that guy, who just keeps getting back up and is resilient, what if he's suddenly now the strongest guy and will win all the fights? That doesn't That's mean a, he's not going to fight anymore. Yeah, that exactly. He's always going to get back up. And, I mean, you, there are some America metaphors you could use with that where it's like he still sees himself as the underdog, but it's like, no, you're the and it is interesting as well too when you think about it you know you know anthony to your to your question about tony stark and me um the the stark character the fact that they had to turn him into bruce wayne as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. got all the money in the world and 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 that that when you think about where we are in this country and in this culture when you talk about what are we talking about we're talking about wealth inequality we're talking about mm-hmm. billions and yet yeah. we all work for dark on screen mm-hmm. as well. You know, even your friendly neighborhood independent Spider-Man is now turned into Robin. We mm-hmm. all work for the billionaire. Mm-hmm. And right. That gave me pause. And I, I thought that the beauty of it is that it also is everything that I dislike about Tony Stark is a tribute to how great an actor Robert Downey Jr. is. He mm-hmm. played that character perfectly. He made yeah. that. He made that character exactly what it needed to be, right? And so that, of course, was phenomenal. But as a as a personality, as personalities go, um, he also all of these different characters sort of represent that level of empire, um, and that everybody at some point has to you know bend to to your will. Now, on the Captain America Civil War side of it, I was on Team Cap, and it wasn't just the rebellion part. Mm-hmm. It, it was the non, the, the, the not trusting of government. It mm-hmm. was not trusting, these guys are gonna try to control you. They're not the good guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Yuri let us know in the first Avengers, they're not the good guys. Mm-hmm. And so I would rather, I mean, to the, to the different teams, I would, your, your question is, do you trust them to regulate you or do you trust yourself to make the right decisions? Mm-hmm. Mm. And, I didn't find Cap necessarily to be a renegade. I found Cap, and, and this was the part, this was the part where it fell, you know, where as, as writers we go, okay, you could have added this line in there. Yeah. When they were arguing in Civil War about whether or not to sign the Accords was a perfect opportunity for Captain America to go, you asked me to trust you and mm-hmm. hide infiltrated every last one of you. Yeah, yeah. The reason, this is the reason why I don't trust any of you because yeah. you can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the way that the different ideologies, now I never liked Winter Soldier Bucky as a character, I think took up way too much time and I battled myself between, you know, which character do I think 
wasted the most time in the MCU? Is it, I'm not even the MCU, just in the comic book movie world? Is it Cerebro or is it Bucky? <laughs> both mm-hmm. of those guys, they, mm-hmm. both of the characters, and Cerebro's not even a character, but Cerebro's a central piece of the, of the, of the, of the X-Men. The amount of time wasted, both in screenplay and on screen, could have been used in other you're preaching to the choir of me right now. Yeah, you're, have, you're getting a lot of, you're going to get a lot of agreement uh, I've, uh, from the Bucky I, scenario. I think the thing is, the reason why I felt I disagree with Captain America in Civil War is not because of the actual agreement thing, because I think that it honestly, I think they, they set it up well, where like, I don't think either side is that great. Like, I don't think, I don't think a government should regulate something like that because I don't trust the government to do it. But I also don't like the idea of a band of, you know, superheroes who run by billionaire is a good thing either. But, um, (laughs) but the thing about, the thing that I, I got hung up on with Cap, which is good character writing, is I think I was supposed to, is like, Cap, like, you gotta, like, Bucky, like, I understand you don't think Bucky did this stuff, but I just don't. I don't know how you're going to be sticking up for your friend who is a brainwashed assassin yeah, it was like two not minutes ago. Great. Like, really and, I, and I, like, yeah, and that was true to his character. And I think that the fact that I was like, "Come on, Cap, what are you doing?" is fair. I think a problem is the fact that when Bucky is not the Winter Soldier, the fact that he basically is a deer in headlights as a character yes. really hurts the movie because you don't see why Cap is doing all this from on screen. It's kind of just like you were my mm-hmm. friend in the 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 forties. So I'm going to protect you now. It's like Bucky's not giving Cap any reason to protect well, him. You know, you know what's really interesting? I'm glad you said that. Is that when you watch the first Avenger, he's the confident one. You actually know in first Avenger why yeah. he, we're back. He's there. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and it's not reciprocal for the rest of the franchise. Yeah. There's no re- moment for Bucky where you say to yourself, oh, okay, we've got a wider Doc Holiday friendship here. That these two guys are in it mm-hmm. together. No matter what, mm-hmm. um, you really don't. You really don't have that. That's that's very true. And I, and I think also, um, you know, I look at it this way. When I when I look at movies, and especially uh, when you're looking at directors, the director is asking you to go on a journey with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as long as you're willing to ride with the director, chances yeah. are you're going to movie. Mm-hmm. I think the good news is, at least for me, when it comes to virtually every piece of the MCU, and full disclosure, there is one one movie I have not seen. I have not seen Ant-Man and the Wasp. Really? How come? Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's it's no, fun. There's no real great reason. I mean, you I know a big I, story. Um, the post-credit sequence is pretty cool. Um, like if you're, if you're in the middle after Infinity War and you're wondering what kind yeah. of happened to this character, what was this character doing? And it's like, oh, okay. This is what happened. And yeah, um, yeah it, it it kind of explains like when Ant Man comes into Endgame, you already have a, an idea of why he's so confident of this happening. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But you know what? It's it, it's on the list to. It's obviously you have to see it. I just never. I didn't. I never. It's loved, not a big deal. I never loved that. Yeah, you're not gonna lose anything from not Look seeing at, it. Ant Man on the plane. I didn't see it in the theater. Yeah. Because yeah. that Ant Man just doesn't. I didn't like Ant Man comic book. Yeah. Well, well you know. that Ant Man was a. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, issues with that Ant Man. He was uh, out there doing some some wild <laughs> stuff, the domestic violence and all that other stuff. There's just whew, the guy yeah, had some it, problems. Hank Pym was out there wilding. Oh my goodness. 
right? That's why Michael Douglas is perfect casting because Michael Douglas has basically made his whole career on being the hero of a movie, but also doing some wild stuff. <laughs> like yeah. that's his whole his whole mo. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of felt too. Like I, I guess that there was some conversation about, um, you know, when you're sort of taking some of these movies, and I, I think that who was I was on Twitter and someone was talking about. Um, about the about Thor's arc as a character, mm-hmm. I actually didn't have a problem with the first Thor. I really didn't. I I had I had issues with the fact that he wasn't Thor for seventy percent of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that that was problematic. But I feel like after a movie is finished, right? I think there's a, there are different stages in films, and to me, the rewatchability mm-hmm. of different scenes or different movies, mm-hmm. you have a movie that is what I refer to as a Sloppy Joe movie, a movie that is just mm-hmm. a But let's also remember that Sloppy Joes taste good. They do. They yes. may be messy, but they actually taste good, right? <laughs> no one's side of um, I actually found that there were some rewatchable scenes in that movie. I oh, 100%. Them, right? Um, Dark World, I haven't seen since I saw it in the theater. Mm. I rewatched it uh, as part of a. Uh, I did a thing where I watched Marvel <laughs> movies for 24 hours straight for charity, and I let people vote on which ones they wanted me to watch with their dollars. And of course, people made me watch The Dark World and The Incredible Hulk back to back because you know. Oh, the Edward. So Edward Norton does count in the MCU. He does. He does. I have a lot of opinions on why I'm so glad they recast that character. But anyway, but so and I. We have a lot of world. opinions about that movie I think, in general. I think where that. I think in terms of movies that like I won't want to rewatch, I think The Incredible Hulk and The Dark World are really the only two. Because even though I don't like Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, I think because Robert Downey Jr. is such an interesting actor, I think they all have interesting moments. Yeah, you can go back and watch them. Whereas I think that Incredible Hulk and The Dark World simply just don't have interesting things going on in them. And for me, because I watch a lot of dog shit, that the worst thing a movie can be is not bad. It's like just boring. Like if a movie has nothing interesting going on, like I don't care if it's like not technically bad. It just give me some stuff to enjoy to like latch onto, and there's just like nothing to hold onto, especially with the dark world. It just feels so nebulous and unimportant. Yeah, yeah. I am of the mind that the courtroom scene in A Few Good Men in my lifetime is the most rewatchable scene uh, in in my life, and the reason why I say that is because I can't remember the last I watched A Few Good Men, but I watched that Jessup scene in the courtroom. I've I've seen that five hundred times. So it's like just because I, I actually a sort of playlist of scenes where two amazing actors are just going yeah. toe to toe, and also scenes where one actor who should be overmatched is trying to hang in there. And in that case, it's Tom, you know, Tom Cruise trying to hang in there against Nicholson, and actually holds his own. He does. He really does. I think that the thing people don't talk about enough is that you can't handle the truth is such a great line. But like whenever I first think of that scene, I think because I grew up knowing you can't handle the truth long before I ever saw a few good men, the first the thing I think of is Tom Cruise's lean part. But why the two orders? Like I think that that is. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. And the and the and the judge forcing mm-hmm. him to answer. And the best part is that when you know you've got him is when Nicholson the great Jack Nicholson, the tough Jack Nicholson, that no one's going to tell me anything, Jack Nicholson. The only thing he can say in that moment is, you snotty little bastard. And he gets right in his face and it's like, okay, bang. You've got, that's, some, that's Hollywood magic right there. That's some really, really, really good stuff. And so 
in, in terms of the MCU, you know, I was actually thinking about, but you have to be very delicate when you make your Twitter polls because people like to rip you to shreds. Uh -huh. You know, really starting to do like some of the most rewatchables. I mean, obviously, I think in terms of individual scene, in terms of individual scenes, I mean, the, the elevator scene in yeah. Winter's. It's great. Yeah. This I has mean, been a consensus on this podcast for yeah. a while now, I think. Yeah, pretty <laughs> yeah. much. Does anyone want to get it off? I mean. <laughs> because once again, Cap's the fighter. Right? Yeah. He's not going to, it's like, there's no way out of this. I'm, I'm going to, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why Natasha's line in Civil War, is this something you think you, you, you really want to punch your way out of this one? In other words, I punch my way out of everything. Yeah. yeah. This is what I do, right? Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know how to negotiate. I don't know how to talk. I don't know any other skill set. I punch my way out of things, mm -hmm. and 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 that is, um, you know, between that and I also have to say that that the some of the scenes that you just forget mm -hmm. in in Infinity War are really real. Yes, scenes. I mean, the the Doctor Strange scene in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, I mean is pretty damn good yeah I'll, there's I a mean, lot of great like, stuff in there uh, yeah i mean you can I talk about how thanos opens the film it's just like this really you're you've been waiting all this time for this guy to show up and and uh, have an impact and he comes right off the bat and it's just in your face and him beating yeah. the crap out of the hulk um yeah. was just like uh, visually was something that was necessary um in order to get him over and then obviously what he does after that and um yeah there are just so many so many great so many great scenes in that movie which which makes it great as a quick digression howard and i know you and i know you mentioned uh we were talking about tony stark before and you were talking about uh mr sabathia i do feel like what you call it even in this short time of, of talking i do feel like we need you to have we need you to come back and we need you to bring mr sabathia on here because he he seems like a very staunch tony stark supporter yeah Deliver CC. I'll ask him if he'll do it. Yeah, yeah. What, what you? Yeah, yeah. Ask him if he wants to come on, and, right. and I think we would have a good time. Yeah, I think he'll he'll find that. I think I think AC's a big Stark guy. I'm pretty mixed. Um, <laughs> I like Tony Stark as a guy a lot. I think his politics. Uh, I don't know when the last time you went back and watched Iron Man One is, but um, <sighs> it feels yeah. like it is from a completely different like century. Like yeah. it just the politics of it are you know the phrase bush era movie is used a lot but it really is like it's yeah, it really, really hit you and so i think a lot of the bush era elements of tony stark which are kind of necessary to making him a complicated character are the things that i get hung up on but him as a guy i think he's a, such an interesting character that i can't help but like him in a lot of ways yeah 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 i mean yeah and it, it's it's interesting too because you know, I love the fact that when you're trying to create something and i think everything that we talk about needs to be prefaced with the first thing, which is trying to do anything is really hard. Mm -hmm. Trying to pull right. this off is demonstrably ridiculously hard. So all of these different choices that we're talking about, at the end of the day, they pulled something off that you would consider to be, you know, they did a magnificent job. It was impossible to do. Mm -hmm. um, I love the fact, like when Stacey and I are arguing about this, you know, because we are on such different, you know, on opposite poles, yeah, part of the part of the reason we're on opposite poles is because of the 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 Tony Stark character 
is so um, they 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 made the Stark character so vital that you forget that Captain America is actually the captain of the Avengers, and that's mm -hmm. a, that Stark in some ways they've let's put it this way they worked really really hard to give Tony Stark some moral value. Mm -hmm. that, at the end of the, at the Avengers, he's the guy who's got to make the sacrifice play, even though he's yeah. ridiculed sacrifice play. He makes the sacrifice play at the end of Endgame, even though he's the guy who ridiculed the sacrifice play, mm -hmm. right? He's the guy who who saves the reactor, you know, in, in Age of Ultron, even though he's the guy who created Ultron, right? Yeah. So he's the guy who gets slapped in the face in Civil War, you mm -hmm. know, as after doing the scholarship thing because the kid got killed during yeah. the Sokovia, right? So they, they're working really, really hard to give the most arrogant SOB in the entire franchise. They're trying to give him something redeeming. And it, it works for me because he understands he has a sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And maybe it also works for me at the end of the day when he realizes I'm not that guy, I'm selfish. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to talk baby talk with my little daughter, even though half the population got wiped out. And I'm good with that. And maybe the reason why it works as well, but I don't like him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, 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 right. Character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, and it, I think it would be like, I always say when you come, when you get done with a movie, if you have nothing to talk about, the movie failed. Yeah. And yet we're still talking about these movies 13, 14 years after they've come out, right? When was the first time? Oh, eight? Yeah, wait. Yeah. Are you look oh, at 12 years ago. 12 years after it came out. Yeah. Um, so they, it, it's just such a remarkable piece of work. And also on top of that, the fact that, you know, Jake, when you were talking about it earlier, about the fact that these characters matter, you start realizing, I've been watching Spider-Man for 45 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And what's really, I think about when I first started watching or you know, paying attention to Spider-Man in seven, you know, 73, 74, the character was only 11 years old, mm -hmm. you know? So right. you, start about, you start thinking about empire and you start thinking about, like I was talking to, um, I was doing an interview with uh, the former football player, Martellus Bennett, he used to play for the Patriots. Oh, okay, yeah. and we were talking yesterday and he was asking about, you know, iconic characters because he draws now as mm -hmm. well. And, and the fact that you could probably take a picture of Spider-Man and take it all over the world and people would know who that mm -hmm. character That in 1973, 74, it wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. and this character has been able to grow and grow and grow. I mean, this is a soundtrack of your lifetime. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? These have been there your whole life. Um, like I have the 67 box set. Right. So my son and I have been watching that over. We've been watching this for years. And I realized, like, I remember one day, like when I'm like blocked or something, I'll sit and I'll watch the comic book or something. I'd right? watch, watch that or I'll, I'll watch, you know, read the Marvel app, some of the stuff I've downloaded. Mm -hmm. yeah. And my daredevils are over there in a box. Um, and um, you realize I've been watching these consistently for 43 years. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like when you put it in that, yeah, you, you know, and it's going to be, you know, obviously whatever age you hit when you start, like we talk about it with friends, you know, gee, we've known each other all the, you know, so it's almost, it's almost your entire life. Yeah. 
there's a reason why fans take this stuff so personally because i mean shit i saw star wars in the theater right. wow right. right star wars and i saw star wars in 1977 down at the theater down in downtown boston and so you know so the responsibility that you have trying to create something that people like us are going to be like, yes, we're going to talk about yeah. it. You're going to create about it. No pressure, guys. Take the family heirloom and polish it and show everybody what you did with it. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Howard, I, I, I have to say this, this has been nothing short of amazing, uh, tremendous Exactly. It's been fun. I'm, I'm, you know, and believe me, you've got plenty of people who um, would love to come on this podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we've been trying to, I mean, I remember that, because um, we basically just started this, me, Anthony and Jerome, all from different places, all like different stages in life, you know. Yeah. Um, we met in like a group chat on Twitter and we just wanted to do a podcast mm -hmm. about Marvel movies. And I think that the thing we want to do is we want to be a place for people who like me, who just like the movies a lot, people who grew up with the comics like AC and Jerome, who's kind of in between. Yeah. Um, because I noticed that all the stuff about comic book movies or in comic books is all, it's so exclusionary. And the way that people talk about it, it's like, you can't talk about this because you don't do this or you yeah. don't like that or this opinion's wrong. And, and so, yeah, I really, I, I love that more than you coming on here. I love that you like what we do. Cause it means a lot. Yeah, um, it does. And it does. yeah, Thank and cause we so just want to have, cause I, if I love having deep conversations about movies, but I think when you talk about movies, it's gotta be fun. And I think that we, uh, I had a lot of fun, but I also feel like I had a, a really brain expanding conversation. Oh, about yeah. I yeah. The daredevil thing I really learned a lot about because even yeah. as somebody who does actively read the books and still does to this day, um, when you go as far as back then, um, it was cool to get that info. And, and yeah. honestly, like, I feel like there's plenty more in terms of um, conversations that we can definitely have about these things, because I'm always, always interested in learning about not only these characters, but how they've developed. Yeah, like, it's always been sort of interesting for me, because I was wondering, because, you know, I hit a certain age, and I'm, I don't read them anymore. You know, yeah. I don't, I, I tried to get back into Daredevil. Um, I was like, okay, let's go see what volume two looks like. And, you know, Wilson Fisk was the mayor and the whole thing. And I was like, you know what? I got other stuff to do. It just didn't. I had my moment with it, like in mm -hmm. terms of comics religiously. And so the movies do sort of sustain me now, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but it's been a lot of fun, guys. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one quick question before you go, though. Um, I just started getting into Full Dissident and, and reading it. Um, it the, the intro hit home for me. Um, as somebody who grew up in a white neighborhood as a, as a teenager. And I, what, what led, was, was it just Colin Kaepernick that led you to, to, to be inspired to write this book? I was just curious of where, of where the, that came from. Where the book came from? Well, the book came from Livin'. Um, the term came from him. The term came from, you know, being on the air and we were sitting there talking about people were ridiculing him because he didn't vote and everyone was attacking him. You know, when he spoke, they attacked him. When he didn't speak, they attacked him. And when he, you know, everything he did. And I was like, well, you know what? Maybe here's a guy who just had enough. Right. Yeah. And, but for me, what really inspired the book was everything over the last 10 years or so. When you're looking at what's happened in, yeah. in it with Martin with Ferguson, when you're looking at what's taking place in the country, electorally, all of the, all the things were coming together. 
and all of the things, which is one of the reasons why, you know, you're talking about watching the MCU and you're, and when I keep bringing up this fact of, do we all serve the billionaires? I'm like, I'm going to a movie and I got to deal with this guy as yeah. well. Yeah. So I mean, it's all of the different things and the, the, you know, you talk about Bush era movies and everything else. I think what it really was, was taking stock of where you are. I think for every person there comes a point in your life where you start to look back in the rearview mirror and then you start sort of paying attention to where you've been and what you've seen and, and yeah. maybe that's something to offer. Maybe you feel like you have something to say. Yeah. And I sort of, or I felt like I had something to say. Yeah, for sure. It was one of those things that it, it made me look back and things that I internalized um, that I was like, oh, wow, this was something that I chose to kind of like ignore. And not because it's like one of it's because you it, you felt like you did what you had to to kind of just get by. But then like as an adult and now that I have a kid, yeah, you don't want to have that same thing for him. So, so, so you know, thank you for writing. It was just, uh, it's it's really tremendous as I I've gone through it and learned interesting stuff about unions and how those things were have been destabilized by the public in the United States. So, full dissident, uh, get it in stores now. Um, Howard Bryant, um, what a pleasure. Uh, Want to thank you so much again, and we hope to have you back uh, in the future. You're, you, this door is open Absolutely. anytime. Um, we can talk about anything at any time. It would be awesome. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. Be All good. right. All right. Take care, right. man. Have All a good right. one. All right. You All right. Bye, Jake. How about right. that? That was a lot of fun. All right, that was really fun. Um, yeah, for for obviously Jake Christie, who you can follow at the Drake, the at the Jake Christie. Uh, you doing that that uh, Monk and, and yeah, Fox at Strictly Monk and me, Andre Barrera, doing a podcast about the USA Network original series Monk. Don't you forget it every Tuesday and Friday, doing episodes. It's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I got you know, put some respect on Tony Shalhoub's name. <laughs> <laughs> and of course you can follow me on ac spotlight 95 on twitter obviously check out this podcast uh, uh check howard bryant's work uh, obviously all over the place he wrote a great uh, michael jordan story um yeah. reflecting on the last dance and everything that took place with that um as far as this podcast goes so um you know for a while back uh myself and stephanie williams were going to do some stuff in the in the comic book area obviously pandemic hit things happen whatever we're going to try and bring that back uh, soon uh getting into the marvel did what the aspects of the comics and uh hey hopefully we asked we asked howard let's see if we get the season yeah. thing going let's yeah. see if let's you know see I, what I, I, I you know <laughs> see what happens I mean, like, you, know, you can only i made sure i, I made sure I, I had to ask I, again, I, you know? see i see this is you and me this is the difference but anyway ac <laughs> it's been great talking to you too yes likewise um, and uh yeah all right take care all right, right so later,